Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. Matt, it's so good to see everyone here. There's so many people. This is awesome. We were like, we weren't sure how many people would show up to YA. We were like, we know some, not all, not, not judging anyone, not judging absolutely anyone. But I know the government put out some map the other day showing where coronavirus was. <laughs> and that's like educational institutions, 40%. And I'm like, I think they're trying to do education institutions like kind of hard. <laughs> but, um, so I wasn't sure how many people would show up. But it's great to see so many people here. It's awesome. Why don't you give yourselves a round of applause? This is fantastic. <laughs> awesome. And for, for those who don't know me, my name is Tyrone. That's my wife sat over there with the big welcome sign on her face, <laughs> Natasha. And uh, we passed the YA, um, the Young Adults Community here. So it's just a community for 18 to 30 year olds. And we felt that it would be great for us to still gather together, considering that, you know, the government is saying that we're allowed to have worship services. And so even though it looks slightly different to what church may have looked like seven months ago, we still wanted to do something to help pour into, you know, people who are new to this city, people who aren't so new to this city, but just people in general, because I think it's so necessary, like massively necessary in this time. And so as we were praying about YA, as to what we want to do, praying, thinking with the team, like what do we want to do this year? We thought to ourselves, well, we sat down thinking about um, how people have been doing throughout lockdown. And I don't know about yourself, but... You know, you, you know you. Um, but I, personally, I know quite a few people who have like found it quite difficult in terms of their relationship with God during lockdown. You know, it caused them to kind of drift a little bit. Maybe they didn't spend as much time in the Word, didn't spend as much time in worship, watching online services. You know, you just, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? You can just go on your phone or you can like just do other stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of having Zoom on and, and playing NBA 2K20 whilst <laughs> sat here smiling on Zoom. <laughs> like, to the side of the screen is NBA. <laughs> My player's like shooting freeze and dunking and stuff. And I'm like, amen. <laughs> like, it's so easy to be disengaged. And, and that has an effect on us. And we were sat down and thinking, we're like, how can we help equip and empower people to grow in their relationships with God? And we thought one of the best ways is to help people just read the word. It's simple, very, very simple tool. I know we have like all these different Bible plans and stuff like that. But we thought it would be good to go through the book of a Bible. I saw a stat the other day, which shocked me. It says in most modern Western churches, only two, uh, three to five percent of the Bible is preached. Because we tend to only preach on scriptures that we find easy to preach on and stuff that we enjoy. You know what I mean? Your favorite text, you just preach on that. You know, so anyone who knows me, if I had a church, we'd preach on Romans probably like nine out of ten years and then find someone else to preach on. But no, so we thought to ourselves, it would be good to go through a book of the Bible. So then we started thinking what book of the Bible would be good to go through and we thought, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who, who have different views of who Jesus is and all these different things. So we thought, let's go on to the book of Colossians. And that's what we're going to go through for the rest of this year. Every time you rock up at YA, we're going to be preaching from Colossians. And there's going to be a lot in there. There's a lot of different things. We're looking at stuff like the godliness of Jesus. He wasn't just a man. He, he, Jesus is God. You know, we'll be looking at stuff like what it means to live out Christianity. 
what it looks like to, to walk as a Christian, to put off our old ways and, and live, as, live as a Christian. We'll be looking at what the Bible says about slavery, which I want to find interesting. You know, those scriptures kind of get dodged. <laughs> and so we'll try and deep dive into it and tackle it a bit. And we'll be discussing some of these things in life groups too. And so why don't you all turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We will start at Colossians chapter 1. And to give you a little bit of context into um, the book of Colossians, it was, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote it to this church in Colossae and Laodicea, these two cities. Laodicea was like 10 miles away from Colossae. And Colossae was a town whereby there was a lot of paganism there. There was a lot of there was quite a few Jews there, quite a lot of Judaism, but there was also a lot of paganism, like just worshipping of all kinds of different gods, not the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ. And so what was happening is some of this stuff was seeping into the church. So people were coming to faith, but they weren't always leaving their old practices behind. So they were kind of like merging Jesus and like worshipping trees or something random like that. There was like this, this concoction of stuff that just ends up not being Christianity. And so Paul writes this letter and there's like these, it's almost like N.T. Wright, he's, a, he's an amazing Bible scholar. He describes the letter as, it's, it's not like necessarily a step-by-step, like we talk about this section, then we talk about that section. But he says the letter kind of builds in a way where in which, imagine a flower and a flower has a bud and, you know, over time you water it, it gets sun and water and then the bud starts to grow and grow and grow and it starts to blossom and bloom. And he's like, that's like this letter. It starts off in this place where it's speaking about Paul's thanksgiving for this church. He's so grateful for them. And then the letter starts to bud and blossom and bloom from that space and he starts talking about all these different things. And so as we get into Colossians chapter 1, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go through quite a chunk of scripture here because... We're, um, we don't have many weeks to really pick this apart. But um, I'll read from verse 1 and I'll read through to verse 23. So it's a lot of scripture, but just bear with me as I'm reading. So Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's a key verse. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So final three verses. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'll very quickly pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that you've blessed us with. I pray you would soften our hearts and may this short time that we get to go through this passage of scripture, Lord, just grow us in our faith and grow us in our relationship with you. If, we don't, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, God, may they come to know you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Awesome. And so here in this, in this passage of scripture, I know I read a bunch of scriptures here and I think it's good that you go away and read this for yourself. You should read the book of Colossians. It's only four chapters. So simple to read through. But in this first passage, let me look at like from verse three. Paul says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He speaks about two things, thanksgiving and prayer. Paul's like, he's in this place, he's writing this letter. Bearing in mind, Paul's in prison when he's writing this letter. This is one of his, like, call it the jail letters. He's locked up, he's imprisoned in some small cell, um, not knowing what his charge will be. His charge could be death. His charge could be 40 but one lashes, which is getting beaten near to the point of death. It was 40 but one because that last one was known to kill people. So they'll push you right to the edge and then just take the last whip away. It's kind of crazy. But he wasn't know what he was receiving. And he starts off this letter giving thanks for this church. Now, it's, people aren't sure whether Paul started this church or not, but he hears about their faith and he's so pleased for them. And he starts to give thanks to God when he prays for them. And as I was reading through this message, as you continue to read down this text up to around about verse 8, Paul starts to give thanks for various things of this church. And it led me to ask the question, do I thank God for you guys? You know, some of you I don't know. That's great. We get to, get to see you today. <laughs> some of you guys don't know others in here. Some of you guys know each other very well. But are you thankful and grateful for that person? Why do I even raise this? The fact of the matter is, if we're in, 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 in the faith, if we are in Christ, if we are Christians, the Bible calls us brothers and sisters. 
You know, that means no matter what I do, I remain your sibling. Do you know what I mean? There's the, in, the, in the kingdom of God, there's no disowning of family members. And so it convicted me in a sense where I'm like, what, where is my heart's posture towards people? Do I see people, the, the young adults, do I see you guys as burdensome? This is me being completely transparent and nice. Do I see you guys as burdens? Man, I have to prep a message to preach. Oh my God, this person, I, I need to meet them and, and give them some biblical counsel. This person, I gave them this counsel five weeks ago and then they're doing the same thing I told them not to do. And it's like, oh my gosh, this person's always asking for the same thing. And whenever they get it, they squander it. Like, do I see you guys as burdens? Or am I grateful? Do you see some of your friends around you as burdens when they have a need and they come to you? Or are you grateful for them? And not just grateful for what they give, but just grateful. Paul's grateful because these people know who Jesus is. That's why Paul's thankful. When you read on in this passage, Paul's like, oh my gosh, they know Jesus. They have faith. Thank you, God. It's amazing. They have faith in Christ. And so it's just a quick thought. I just wanted to start off with that quick thought. Are you thankful for the people around you? Secondly, do you then pray for the people around you? Do you pray for your friends? Do you pray for those in way who aren't your friends? Do you pray for those who are just in your life? Where does that sit with you? Paul speaks about how he, he prays without ceasing. Like he's just walking down the street, guys walking and he's like, oh man, God bless Dan Oliphant. Great guy. Oh, and David, I know that David, great God, meet his needs. And uh, like, I'm not saying that, you know, every step of the day you got to be praying for someone, but are we, are we focused on ourselves or are we focused on others as well? Do you know what I'm saying? In, in the book of Philippians and in chapter two, um, it speaks about humility and it says humility is putting others before yourself. And then Paul, this is Paul who wrote Philippians as well. He goes on to say the perfect example of humility was Jesus. He says, Jesus empties himself. And I don't want to say this to confuse the text, what I'm going to get into a bit later. He says he empties himself of his godly privileges in order to serve everyone else. He's, and so it's just a simple thing. Are we praying for each other? The, the reason why this is needed is Paul goes to God and prays for this church to be strengthened. He says, I want them to grow in their faith. And Paul recognises that as much as he can preach and as much as he can teach and as much as he can go and physically visit these people and be in their presence, he understands that the only way that they will grow is if God grows them. If you want evidence of that, read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's a great passage of scripture. Paul gets to chapter, uh, verse 6. And, and, and it's in this place whereby the people, they're, they're starting to form factions. And so the people in Corinth, they're saying, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm one of Paul's followers. So if Paul preached and they came to faith, they were like, I'm one of Paul's followers. And then there was this other guy called Apollos. And sometimes when he preached, people came to faith as well. So others are like, nah, I'm of Apollos. He's like, I'm of Paul. And Paul's like, what? He's like, don't you know that me, Paul, I just sow a seed. Apollos, he waters it, but it's God who brings increase. The 
every seed that's sown, and when I say seed, I mean just a good thing planted in your heart, a good thing planted in your soul. And you know, and you want to see that grow in your friend. It requires prayer because it's God who brings increase. Go before God and pray for your friends. When we, when we see our people, when we see our church, our way, community in difficulty, pray. When we see them in good times, pray. Whatever the situation will be, pray for one another. It's so vital. It's so vital to our faith and, and the sustenance of our faith. Is this making sense? Paul was a man who prayed. He prayed and it's so fundamental, like I was saying, to us and our faith and living for God. He then goes on and prays that they would grow in love in the spirit. And he starts to give God thanks for that. What I mean by that is, he says, the way these guys love each other is amazing. Thank you, God, that they love each other so well. So maybe he's just grateful that they're loving one another. And so it's like, what, what does that look like? What does it look like for you to love your neighbor? You know, whenever I hear the Bible telling me to love my neighbor, I always, um, I, I'm known to preach messages that can be quite convicting, but I think the Bible's convicting, so I think I just end up preaching the Bible. <laughs> but <laughs> I read it, and I, and I think, you know, the Bible tells me to love my neighbor, and I think I always end up, like, I don't know if you're the same as me, I end up just loving the people who I like, and it, it's not that I, I don't love the people who I not necessarily dislike, but I might just distance myself from them. Does that make sense? So I surround myself with people I like and then love on them. And then those who I might not have as much in common with and I might not strike the best of chords with, I'll just kind of like gravitate, like gravitate away from them. Do you know what I mean? And love them at a distance. It's like, hey mate, how's it going? Speak to Dan Oliphant. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not directed at you, by the way. <laughs> I can't really see anything. It's all dark. <laughs> but like, I end up focusing on like a, a set group of people that I might just like. And there's this scripture in Matthew chapter five, and it's in verse 46. I won't even turn to it. It essentially says... Jesus, like, he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount and he's saying to the people, he's saying, ah, oh, you love the people that you like? Great. So what reward does that give? He's like, even the tax collectors do that. He's like, man, love your enemies. He's like, no matter what someone does, there should still be love bestowed on them. That doesn't mean you forget what they've done or that doesn't mean you just disregard anything. But like the intent that we have towards them, the thoughts we think of them, do we still pray for our enemies? Like in that same passage of scripture, the Bible goes on to tell us to pray for those who persecute us. And so I'm guessing no one in this room is persecuting anybody else in this room. Just random guess. Like I'm guessing that's not happening. And so... From that, we should be loving each other even more. It's hard to love someone who's persecuting you, but it's still possible in Christ. But it's like, man, if someone, even if we just have a slight distance towards someone, we should still be like, 
loving them in a way where in which we can help them grow in the faith, praying for them, maybe being around them, maybe getting over ourselves a little bit and loving them. You know, one thing I've really realized, I tend to like people who are like me. And in liking people who are like me, it's kind of just like, just being a little bit self-obsessed. Because essentially I'm just looking for me to go and talk to me, say hi to me, hug me, spend time, let's go get food, me. <laughs> and I just end up being around me. People who just want to say the stuff that I like to hear. And then, man, I'm loving on the church. Really, I'm just loving on me. Do you hear that? Paul says, man, pray for your brothers and sisters. Give thanks for them. Pray that they would grow in their faith, that they would be strengthened. Regardless of what they look like, what they sound like, who they are, this is what he calls us to. There's a lot to go through in a short amount of time. <laughs> well, I'll try. In, in verse 9, I'll be quick. I'll switch the topic just slightly. In verse 9, it, it, it takes a slight shift in the thanking, in the giving thanks in the prayer. And it says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Paul and the leaders of the church. He's saying, from the day we heard of you, we haven't ceased to, we haven't ceased to pray for you. Asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. I thought to emphasize on this bit because this is the question I hear asked all the time. Like people are always seeking out the will of God. You know, I'm pretty sure all of you have been like, man, I'd, what job? Uh, like, should I start this business, God? Should I pursue this career? Should I pursue that guy? Should I pursue that woman? God, is this your will? for me to go and marry Susanna or something. You know, is Jeffrey the one for me? Or Clive or something. <laughs> is Clive for me? Is that your will, God? I hear people asking me these questions all the time. Is this, is this the one? And it's funny, you know, whenever I read in the text about the will of God, there are different wills of God, which I won't get into. It's a bit of a rabbit hole. But mostly what I hear when people are asking for the will of God, I go to the scriptures and I see what he says. You know, <laughs> you know what the scriptures say? Like a lot of people are like, what, should I marry this person? Should I start this business? Should I do this career? The Bible says in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 3, it says, the will of God is your sanctification and for you to abstain from sexual immorality. That's what the Bible says the will of God is. Sanctification is your growth in the faith. It's almost like you just, you're growing, you're getting stronger, better. You, you're putting off the old things. Like the Bible says that when we come to faith, we become a new creation. It says old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. Like these old desires that we have, it says they become a thing of the past. And it's not to say that those desires don't remain a bit, but it's like there's this new desire within us that wrestles against the old desire. And the new desire is meant to put off the old desire. Does that make sense? And so Paul again, Paul wrote, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. First Thessalonians, he says, the will of God 
is your sanctification, for you to grow in the faith and for you to remain sexually moral. So, like, people are like, oh, should I? Should, what? Tyrone, what do you think of Clive? It's Clive the will of God. Does Clive help your sanctification? And does Clive help you to remain sexually immoral? Let's, let's start there. Because <laughs> that's where the will of God starts. In, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul essentially says, he, I want to turn to it just so I don't misquote. Paul, this is, I think this is one of the best passages of Scripture on the will of God. Paul says, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you will present yourselves as a living sacrifice, like holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable um, service. And then he says, in verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to the world. Remember this. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So he says, Paul, this is Paul wrote Romans again, again, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Let me just look. <laughs> he says, don't be conformed to this world. Transform your mind. And then you'll know the will of God. Does that make sense? Don't be conformed to this world. He's like, don't. Don't do the things that the world tells you to do. The world tells us to do so much. The world tells us if we, if we feel a certain way, then we just follow that. If it feels good, that means, it, that means we're to do it. And the Bible tells us to deny ourselves. And so the, he's saying, stay, like, forget that, push that away. Don't follow what the world does. And then he says, renew your mind, transform, be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Read the word. And then you'll know the will of God. Then you'll look at Clive and start asking questions. Like, why go on, Clive? <laughs> what Bible reading plan are you want at the minute? Oh, snap. Like these different questions that's come out. Oh, cool. Who are your friends? What church do they belong to? What are you saying, Jeffrey? <laughs> What's your plan over the next five years? What do your savings look like? Jeffrey, who is Jesus to you? Suzanne. <laughs> or was it Susanna? <laughs> Susanna, how are you going to lead me closer to Christ? You see, and what happens is the will of God starts to become more and more clear because your mind's transformed, you're asking different things. And so it becomes, well, that's an easy yes and that's an easy no. Does, does that make sense? This is what Paul's saying of us in here. In Colossians, we go on, I'll, I'll, I'll drop a pin at. I'll read from verse 15 through to verse 19 and then we'll... We'll close there because I've gone on for a while. It says, He, he being Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things 
were created in heaven and on earth. Jesus created all things. It says, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him everything, sorry, from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul starts talking about Jesus being God and breaking it down simply because these people believe something completely different. The, the Colossians believed in something called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, it's, it's, Gnosticism comes from the word where we get the word knowledge from. And it speaks about like this, this mysterious, hidden, higher knowledge. So these people thought that they knew way more than the average person. And in their Gnosticism, they believed in something, it's, it's kind of like this thing called dualism. I don't want to get too technical, but basically they believed that Jesus was either 100% man or he was 100% God, but he couldn't be both. Yeah, they believed that he was man or he was God, but he, he can't be both because they believed that in man, there is just bad things, but in the spirit, there is just good things. And so God can't go into this bad thing and then be this mixture of good and bad. So they were like, nah, he's, he's one or the other. And this is why Paul starts preaching about who Jesus is, saying, nah, look, he's 100% man, but he's 100% God. And, and that was one of the issues at the time in, in Colossae. My question is, is who, do we say, who, who do we say Jesus is? What, what are our thoughts on Jesus? Hey, all the time. Jesus is, 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 Jesus is a God of love. I hear that all the time. Jesus is a God of love. Is Jesus a God of wrath? How, how does that work? Is he a just God, as in righteous, and he will do the right thing? What I tend to hear from people is stuff that they like, stuff that they accept, not necessarily stuff that's biblical stuff. There's these, these, two, these two authors wrote a book. Their name's Christian Smith and um, Melina Denton. They wrote this book called Soul Searching. Fascinating story. It's basically this big study that they did and then they, um, they analysed all of the research. The, the research um, basically looked into... It was, in, it was in youth in America. So um, teenagers aged 13, I think it was from like 11, 11 or 13 to 18... And they went around, all around America, asking these, these um, participants tons of questions, biblical questions. And they were trying to find out their picture of Jesus and their understanding of God and Christianity. And they came up with this term. I've mentioned this term before, but I want to keep mentioning it to drill it home. They came up with this term called moralistic therapeutic deism. MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism. It sounds really complex. It's really not. What they found in their, in their findings is, is that these people's picture of God was a God who agreed with their morals. So what they said was good was what they looked for in Jesus and the stuff that agreed with them, they were like, yeah, that's Jesus. So, so basically, this Jesus was someone who agrees with their morals and enforces their morals. What I say is right, 
Jesus also says is right. And then therapeutic is the second part. Moralistic, so it's moralistic. Therapeutic. Therapeutic in, they, they would find the scriptures that made them feel good. So they would read, for example, the parts in Jeremiah where it says, I know the plans that I have for you, Sephir Lord, plans to prosper you. And they would read those passages, those scriptures, but then they wouldn't read on and it's like that prosperity comes 70 years later when, after you're out of exile. Like, but right now you're going to suffer. <laughs> like, because you said you didn't repent. Like, <laughs> and so it was like this focus it's just focusing on the stuff that makes them feel good. So they've got a, so Jesus is this person who agrees totally with their morals and tells them stuff that makes them feel, feel good. And then deism, deity comes from the word deity. Deity just means God. So essentially these people made a God out of someone who made them feel good and someone who agreed with what they said was good. And so essentially when you break that down and you look at it, they essentially made a God out of themselves and then called him Jesus. And the question that I have for all of us, this, this question, it beats away at me. Have I done that? Do I do that? Do I just find scriptures that just agree with my morals, agree with what makes me feel good, and when I'm challenged, I just drift away from those and keep focusing on the ones that make me feel good? And then do I call that Jesus and then worship him, him or it or me? You know, the people in Colossae, they, they all just like thought Jesus was, he was either man or he was guy. He was like this dualistic split thing when he was like, no, he had two natures, but he was God in the flesh. And my question for you is, who is Jesus to you? Because it matters. And the reason why it matters is if we end up worshipping ourselves, that is not Christ. And that won't save us. The reason why we look to a God in the first place is simply because we know we can't save ourselves. So then why build a God who looks like us and then worship ourselves? (laughs) And that tends to be why when we go through issues in life, we look at this God and he starts to crumble and fall away. And it's because we're resting and trusting in ourselves, not resting and trusting in the God of scriptures, who when we're going through suffering and difficulty and we want it to leave and we want it to go away, I'm not saying not to pray for that stuff, but sometimes God takes us through the fire to refine us and he holds our hand through it and he walks us through it for our good, our benefit, so we won't walk that path again. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the sufferings of this world aren't, they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory which we shall receive in heaven. He's not talking about praying away stuff. He's like weighing it up. He's like, man, I've lost my job, my house, I've lost everything. I've given it all up for the sake of Christ, but this is nothing to compare to what I'm going to receive in heaven. So I'm good. Paul's like, man, I've learned to abase and I've learned to abound. He says, I've learned to have so little to function off of nothing, but then I've learned how to live in abundance. He's, this guy like mastered it. <laughs> and Paul's not saying there, man, when I've, got a, when I've got nothing, God, give me everything. Give me a Porsche. I've prayed that prayer. But I don't want the, the bill when it gets serviced. <laughs> a lot of money (laughs) 
But yeah, who, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? I want that to resound in your hearts and mind tonight as you go home, tomorrow, the week after, and the week after that. Because who Jesus is to you determines your eternity. I'm telling you, this is just scripture. I'll preach the gospel. It's imperative. We seek out and we find out who Jesus is because he saves. He saves. He saves us from our sins. He saves us from ourselves. And so I've gone over my time. I just want to ask a simple question. I always ask this question after I preached. And it's a simple question just to see if the Spirit of God is at work. He's at work 100%. Don't get us twisted. But what I mean is, is I'll just ask the question. <laughs> is the sin that you once loved, are you now beginning to hate it? That's why I ask after every message. The sin that you once loved, are you now beginning to hate it? This is for people who don't know who Jesus is. And if that's you, I just want to see a show of hands. It's hard for me to see, but I'll try and spy it. If nobody else can spy it, somebody, people can help me out. But yeah, just be bold and raise your hand. The sin that you once loved, are you now beginning to hate it? Are you now beginning to turn, like thinking about turning away from it? It's called conviction. That's what the Bible does. The Bible is this incredible book that examines us. And it shows us everywhere where we fall short. But then it gives us this incredible hope in Jesus Christ, the one who can never fall short, who never has, never will. And we put our hope, our faith and our trust in him. And he rescues us, not us. We can't rescue ourselves. We can't stand before a holy and just God and think that our, our attempts at good things will get us past, will get us through. I'm telling you that that won't work. God is just, he's loving. He is 100% loving, but he's 100% just. And he won't compromise his love for his justice or he won't compromise his justice for his love. He all works in unison, love, mercy, wrath, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It all works together. So ask that question one more time. Show of hands, if the sin that you once loved, you're now beginning to hate. Cool. I want to I wanna pray for us. Because I think that's what Paul kind of tells us to do in Colossians. So I think it's an ideal opportunity to pray for us. But if there is anyone in here that just wants to um, connect with us a little bit further, there are connect cards on the tables at the exit door. Just fill them out. If you want to join a life group, fill it out. You want to start drawing nearer to God. You want to start getting godly friends around you, fill it out. Put your details down. Mention that you want to join a life group or something like that. And we'll get back in touch and we'll try and put you in a position where, you know, you're more geared up and equipped to walk this life. I've been to uni. I've done it. It can be wild. <laughs> I've, I've been in the workplace. I worked in sales for like three years. It can be wild. Like, man, we need Christians around us to help us grow and walk in our faith faithfully. And so I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much because you are good, you're gracious, and you are merciful, God. 
you're just. I thank you for your word, I pray that your word would seep into our hearts, this seed that's been sown. God, may people water it. People amongst this congregation, may they water each other. But God, most of all, would you bring increase to this? God, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, save them. It doesn't have to be right here in this moment, but at some point, save them from themselves. Save them, Father, from you. If they, unless they would turn from their sin. And Lord, most of all, I pray that we will come to know your son, Jesus Christ, all the more, each and every day. May we grow in our knowledge, grow in our understanding, grow in our experience and encounter of your son. God, we won't always get it right. We won't, and you know that. And so God, when we, when we fall, pick us back up and set us on that path, that right path towards you. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness towards us. You never leave, neither do you forsake us. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.